in Pascagoula, Mississippi, in October of 1973. Two friends claimed to have been abducted by aliens. It's one of the earliest reported tales of abduction. But did these events truly happen? Or were these men merely spinning a yarn that got out of control after a long night of drunken fishing? Welcome, welcome, welcome in for another episode, everybody. This is Brad, as always, here with another fantastic, mind-blowing, life-changing edition of the Killin' Missin' Hidden Podcast. Couple notes I want to take care of first. I know it's not fun to listen to someone rattle on about business at the beginning of a podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's my show. I get to do what I want. We have the great honor of announcing that this past week we have cleared over 10,000 downloads and just about five months of being on the air. I know bigger podcasts do that per episode, but we're new, we're young, we're independent, and I think that's really daggum cool. So thank you all who have been out there promoting us, who have shared us with your friends, and just those of you who have listened consistently, we really, really appreciate it. I also want those of you who are not a member of our Facebook group to know that we've been working on updating the schedule in the Facebook group to change up the amount of murders versus missing persons versus spooky cases. Um, if you're not a member of the group, you need to join so you can get in on decisions like this. Um, I mean, frankly, those of y'all who aren't members of the group just make me sick. I, you're just a blight on my... Okay, well, I don't really mean that. I just get a little upset sometimes. Just please go and join the Facebook group. It's private, so only our listeners get in. Get to talk about the episodes. You get to complain about the host. That's my favorite thing to do. But please just make sure you join in because not only do you get to help make important decisions about the show, you can make recommendations about what sorts, what topics we're going to cover, such as this week's topic, which comes to us from listener Drew. Hi, Drew. Thank you, Drew. I also want to give a shout out to the podcast from the crypt and the crime sidekick podcast both of those have been very nice to us this week on instagram and have thrown a lot of love our way in promoting our show so if you have any interest in checking out some more paranormal type stuff go find the podcast from the crypt and if you want to hear more tales of murders that are resolved check out crime sidekick they both do a wonderful job i really i mean i do and listen to them i subscribe to them and it's very enjoyable so please check them out okay 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 we're getting on to the story i promise and it's a fun one i think so like i said we're talking this week about the pascagoula alien abduction that occurred in 1973 and i know what your very first question is what is a pascagoula 
Well, it's a coastal town in Mississippi near Biloxi, if that means anything to you. And by coastal, I mean the Gulf Coast, the beach side, not the Mississippi River. The town is famous for two things, I'd say. The absolute destruction it took during Hurricane Katrina and this story. Oh, it's also the birthplace of, uh, of uh, Jimmy Buffett, the singer-songwriter guy. So, three things. Three. I just increased its popularity by 50%. All right, with our tale. We've got two protagonists here. That's Calvin Parker and the now-deceased Charles Hickson. The pair worked together at the Wagner Shipyard and were good friends despite the age difference. Calvin was only 19 at the time, while Charles was 42. And also the fact that Charles was Calvin's foreman, and also the fact that Charles was Calvin's landlord. They decide to go fishing on the Pascagoula River one evening after work, this being Thursday, October 11th, which just so happens to be Calvin's first day on this job. By the end of the evening, they were at the Jackson County Sheriff's Office telling a, telling a tale nobody believed. They claimed they had been abducted by aliens while fishing. The story caught fire in the media. The two friends became instant celebrities, though not always in the most flattering of manners. 1973 was a simpler time. UFO abductions were a rarity. MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, reported that there were perhaps a dozen reported cases at that, that point in history. That's reported cases of adoption, not just UFOs, period. Now, for whatever reason, people just flocked to Pascagoula in droves, hoping to see a UFO of their own, or merely to have a chance to make fun of the local residents while walking around in tin hats and other ridiculous outfits. Now, Calvin and Charles reacted to this fame in different ways. Despite Calvin begging him to keep this story hush-hush, Charles embraced the fame. I mean, he was anywhere and everywhere talking about the story. If you just, if he thought you said the word alien, he was in your face telling you about what happened. And he was interviewed by a lot of people. He even got on the Johnny Carson show. He were, went on to write a book about his experiences. He became a regular at UFO conventions. I mean, he just loved to talk about this story. Calvin, however, really retreated from it. He had come to Pascagoula solely to find a good job so that he could earn enough money to offer a proper proposal to his girlfriend and start a family. Because of his instant notoriety, he left Pascagoula, married his girl, and moved away. He started working for oil companies, and from what I read, every time somebody would recognize him on a job, he'd quit that job and go find another one. I mean, he truly, truly ran from the story. That is until later in life, he finally got comfortable enough to talk about it and wrote his own book called Pascagoula, the Closest Encounter, My Story. Now, as time went on, more and more people confirmed at least parts of Calvin and Charles' story. Joey Nelson of Mobile, Alabama, was traveling through southern Mississippi, hustling pool of all things, the night of the incident. He claims that while driving on U.S. Highway 90, he saw a UFO that hovered above his vehicle. 
He claimed it was close enough to touch for about 10 minutes. Then it departed by shooting straight up into the sky at a fantastic speed. The next day, he saw newspaper reports of Calvin and Charles' story, but he decided to keep quiet for a spell because he didn't want to risk all the ridicule they were receiving. Rosie Nail's another witness, though she was 300 miles away in Bruce, Mississippi. She saw what was believed to be a falling star, but the star wasn't falling. It was moving at a 45-degree angle across the sky, and to her it was getting closer and closer and closer. Nail claims that the object went from being about, you know, a tiny dot in the sky to something the size of the sun in the sky. It also changed colors and stuck close to the horizon. She also wanted to try and get closer to get a better look at it, but every fiber of her being would not let her move towards the craft. Then the sphere just darted out of sight at a 45 degree angle. The next day she heard about Calvin and Charles story on the radio, but never shared her experience because too many folks were making fun of them, though she believed their story. Calvin claims he runs into people almost every day who insist they too saw something the same night he was abducted. The sheriff's office tried to disprove Calvin and Charles' claims, but just couldn't. Men's stories were consistent. They both passed polygraph tests and both arrived with an obvious puncture wound on one arm. Sheriff's Captain Glenn Ryder told the Washington Post in 1975 that if the pair were lying, quote, they should be in Hollywood because he couldn't find a way to break their stories. All right, I know you're not wanting to hear all the stuff that happened around the story. You want to get to the meat and potatoes here. But I wanted to spend a moment building some credibility for the story because I think it's one that can be viewed either as real or fake, I guess depending on your biases and, and other such things. So here's how the story goes. While Calvin and Charles were fishing off the pier, Charles got a nibble and was focused on reeling in his fish. Calvin, meanwhile, noticed there was an odd hissing sound coming from behind him. They also both noticed blue lights reflecting off the water, much like police lights. But what was behind them was no police car. If we had sponsors, this is where I would tell you about a terrible mobile game or the need to get a great new mattress so we could build up the tension a little bit. But we don't have any sponsors because we're not that sort of podcast. What was behind them... See, we're moving on. What was behind them was a football-shaped craft. As the two began to kind of absorb what they were seeing, a door to the craft opened, and a blindingly bright light emerged. The two guys were frozen, either from fear or other means. Three creatures appeared. Charles described them as having very wrinkled and coarse skin, kind of like an elephant's. It was so wrinkled, Charles couldn't tell if the creatures had eyes. The creatures certainly had no necks or fingers. Instead of normal hands, they had crab-like claws. This only makes me think of Dr. Zoidberg from Futurama. Where their ears should be, they just had these odd pointed projections, for lack of a better term. So the three creatures grabbed Charles and Calvin, both by the arm, where they felt an immediate stab hence the incisions we mentioned a moment ago. Here's part of an interview from Fox 6 News in Mississippi where Calvin described the experience in his own words. 
And we pulled up and I noticed there was posted signs there. And I said, Charlie, you know, maybe we don't need to go fishing here. He said, no, that's fine. And that's when I noticed some blue hazy lights reflecting coming across from my back, out across the water. So I stood up thinking that I was going to go to jail for trespassing. I seen three bulky looking creatures coming toward us. And they was probably four, four and a half, five foot tall. They built like football players. But I noticed they kind of moved mechanical wise and they was floating off the ground. By the time we stood up and turned around, they was there on us all at one time. So two of them got a hold of Charlie, one of them got a hold of myself, and instantly I felt like that uh, I just got relaxed. There was an examination room, what I call it, and the old big ugly creature that brought me in, he took me and laid me on an examination table and he just backed up out of the way. I couldn't move or anything. I could, all I could do was look, and there was something about the size of a deck of cards that came out of the uh, ceiling, and it hoovered about a foot in front of my eyes, and then it went to the right side of my head, and it clicked, went behind my head, and it clicked, went to the left side of my head and clicked, and then straight to the front, and then it shot back up in the ceiling. And that's when I noticed some kind of little ruffling noise and this uh, more feminine looking creature came out. She looked completely different than the, uh, what I call the robot, because he moved like a robot, just mechanical wise. She looked kind of feminine looking and had fingers, regular fingers and all, come over and pinched me on the side of the cheek. And then she took her finger and run down my throat and got behind that little thing that hangs down back there and tried to come up in my nasal cavity. And that was when it started hurting and I started choking and I got scared. And uh, she just kind of telepathically told me, you know, don't be afraid, we're not gonna hurt you. Now Charles in his report described the hallways, floors and ceiling of this craft as being overly lighted and making it real hard for him to see. Both men were allegedly given a thorough medical exam by the beings, and it sounds like there were four beings in the room. Two of the football player-looking ones, as, as, as our buddies there said, uh, stood in the room. There was the feminine one who participated in the exam, and then there was a fourth creature that Charles said looked a lot more human in nature. When the exam was over, the two men suddenly found themselves on the shore. Calvin said he was frozen with his arms outstretched in a zombie-like stance while Charles was laying on the ground. Calvin said it took several moments before they both kind of snapped back to reality, during which the craft hovered over them for a few minutes before departing. Now the pair debated what to do and ultimately decided to drive over to a nearby payphone and call the local Air Force base. They said, why don't you give the local sheriff a call? It's more his jurisdiction. And as we discussed earlier, the deputies thought the two were, were just having a laugh, you know, either pulling a prank or maybe had been drinking a little too much. Um, but like we said, retired Captain Glenn Ryder, uh, he described some of what happened that night. This is from the same Fox News 10 segment. I said, could I help you? He said, yeah. I've had something happen, but said, 
You're going to laugh if I tell you what it is. I said, look, fella, go ahead and tell me I'm busy. What happened? He said, I got picked up by a UFO. I laughed. <laughs> he said, I told you he's going to laugh. So the sheriff's office invites them in, and they take their statements, and then to try to trick them a little bit, they left them in a, an interview room alone with a hidden tape recorder. Try to find some inconsistencies or see if they're having a laugh about what's going on or something like that. But, but they, they never, they never found that. They just found two men who were scared, and were trying to figure out what exactly had happened to them. Here's retired Captain Ryder again discussing that part of the story. And they were upset. They, I figured they'd say, "Well, look, we got these guys food, but it wasn't that. They were still. The boy especially was upset." Now, you can find a link in my show notes to this Fox News 10 segment. They really did a good job with it. It's over eight minutes long. It's uh, done by reporter Shelby Myers, and they interview a, a handful of people and, and really get down into it. So if you're interested, go check out that video. The, the two didn't apparently receive any information from the beings during the examination, Charles claimed he received messages three times from the beings in the years that followed, letting him know that they were creatures of peace. Though Charles stayed involved in the UFO scene for the rest of his life, he didn't do so for the money. Calvin claimed he had to help Charles out a bit financially during his last few years on Earth. In June of 2019, city of Pascagoula erected a historical marker at the scene of the abduction. So it's hard for a lawyer to analyze an alien abduction case, but we never back down from a challenge because we think we know everything. I mean, not to the level of doctors, of course, but we are pretty close. So let's talk about the detractors first. Famed UFO skeptic, if that's a real term, Philip J. Class found discrepancies in Charles' story. First, he noted the only other UFO sightings did not occur anywhere near the two men that night. Second, the men described beings that no other alleged abductee has ever described. Third, the two men described beings in slightly different ways. Klaus claim, or Class claimed that one said they had a whole four mouth and the other said they just had a slit. Fourth, the polygraph operator was very inexperienced and Charles refused to take a second one with a more experienced operator. Fifth, Charles claimed he had taken several shots of whiskey to calm his nerves before going to the police, which may be an indication that the pair had been drinking most of the night. Finally, Class claimed that Charles just lacked credibility because he had previously been fired from another job for extorting money from his employees. Joe Nickel further noted that Calvin originally claimed to the media he was unconscious during the event before changing his story later in life. He also suggests that the pair went through a hypnagogic fantasy, a.k.a. a waking dream, as bright lights, unusual noises, and a sense of paralysis and confusion are all common in these waking dreams. Nico also noted that Charles would regularly add to or change details of his story throughout the years. Now, while I can probably be counted as one of those folks that do believe in aliens, I can't make up my mind about this story. I think something odd happened, but I have hesitation in stating that an abduction certainly took place. 
That being said, I don't necessarily agree with class or Nichols' analysis, however. One of my biggest issues with the story, as shallow as this may sound, is the description of the aliens. They just sound very old-school sci-fi-ish. I mean, Night of the Lepus came out the year before, which is this terrible sci-fi movie about giant rabbits that terrorize part of the United States. So that's the level of spookiness the world was used to at this time. Giant killer bunny rabbits. I acknowledge that maybe now having a common consciousness on what aliens are supposed to look like and how they're supposed to act, such as the famous greys, may cause me to unfairly overemphasize this aspect of the case. But crab elephants just ain't doing it for me. I believe Charles enjoyed the attention once word got out about their story. I don't know if it's fair to say I believe. I think that can probably just be a fact. I mean, he basked in the limelight and worked to stay in as long as possible. While there's not any evidence he's well compensated for his appearances, I do think the attention meant a whole lot to him. He went from being a nobody living in Pascagoula to being a niche celebrity for decades, really. Calvin didn't remember the events the same way Charles did, in my opinion. I think he knew something happened, and I think he just went along with Charles' story when talking to the police. I mean, this is a 19-year-old who is being asked questions about what his 42-year-old friend slash boss slash landlord is saying regarding a story. There are unconfirmed reports that I found that Kelvin believed the event was really one that was demonic in nature, and that was a large reason why he refused to talk about it for so many years. He did tell the media and his friends that he was unconscious when it happened, and refused to discuss it in any detail further. But I do think he eventually bought into Charles' version of the events, especially as Charles was reaching the end of his life. And that's a long time to wait to share your version of the story with the world. And a long time to grow fuzzy on your own details and adapt the memory shared by a close friend. Now, having said that, I believe Charles and Calvin believe they are telling the truth. I do not think they're out to deceive anyone. There, like I mentioned earlier, there's those reports that Charles and Calvin were left alone in the sheriff's office, and they spent time comparing notes about what happened. Not in a deceitful way, but in, oh my God, do you remember this? Oh my gosh, what about this? Man, we need to go get some nerve pills or something. I ain't going to be able to sleep tonight. That sort of talk. They were probably just overstimulated from the event and trying to get their minds calmed down and and both kind of get on the same page. Again, I'm not suggesting they're fabricating anything. I just think they were trying to make sense out of what they experienced. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know my thoughts on polygraph tests. They ain't the most reliable thing in the world, and they get too much credit for those of you that are new here. The fact that Charles passed one doesn't necessarily surprise me. I wish he would have consented to take the second one because I think it would have bolstered the credibility of the first one. If the polygraph operator truly was as inexperienced as that Klaus fella said, I think we can call into question the results of that test and can't put a whole lot of stock in the fact that he took the test and passed. And I also agree with those skeptics that the lack of witnesses in the immediate area is concerning. 
I don't pretend to know a thing about alien technology. I just think it's odd that folks a block or two over didn't see this craft. I do not for one moment believe that two southern men will go fishing without any alcohol. Now, whether they were drunk enough to start hallucinating, I don't know if I buy that, but we know alcohol was at the scene from Charles' story. They had to have a nip of whiskey before he talked to the police. And I understand that the deputies didn't believe the pair had been drunk. But we also don't know what kind of relationship Charles had with the sheriff's office. This ain't the biggest part of the world. Folks know each other. And it could be that the deputies were doing Charles a solid by not focusing on his his drinking. I saw some reports that, that Charles was a pretty good drinker. Um, so it's, it's, it seems likely to me that he didn't just have a nip of whiskey. He, he was enjoying something while they were fishing. And I would suspect that Calvin did too, uh, being a young man who's trying to impress his, his boss. Again, though, they clearly weren't sloppy drunk. So if it was enough to make them imagine this whole scene, I don't really buy that either. I think one thing that's not talked about that bothers me a lot is neither man went to the hospital. Now, there's reports that they got sent to the Air Force Base for radiation testing, and they didn't have any evidence of of suffering any radiation poisoning. But both men had puncture wounds on their arms. And Calvin was apparently so upset about his injection that when he got home, he kind of bathed himself in bleach to make sure nothing would get in that wound. So to me, it just seems logical to expect that they would go visit a doctor and have some sort of blood work or whatnot done to make sure they ain't been poisoned or injected with some deadly virus, bacteria, fungus, or something nasty like that. That, that I, I have a hard time overcoming that in believing this case. Having said all that, and thrown shade all over this story. There's something about it I just believe. Listen to that interview of Calvin. He just, he don't sound like he's lying. He doesn't sound like he's doing anything deceitful. And you get that a lot in the accounts you read of Charles giving his version of the story too. So maybe it didn't happen, but these folks at least believe pretty strongly that it happened. To them, it's real. And I kind of I kind of side with them. Okay, so that's going to wrap up this week's episode. We finally got to an alien story. I know some folks have been annoyed that we haven't, so... Yay. It's another tantalizing entry for our Killian Missing Hidden Encyclopedia. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, Blame listener Drew. This was his idea. I just refuse to accept fault for him putting me in this situation. All right, palate cleanser time. Let's get to it. What do aliens wear to weddings? Look, we found a thematic joke this time. What do aliens wear to weddings? Why they wear spacesuits, of course. Little Eli looked long and hard for a joke that fit today's topic, and he was very proud of that one. So I hope you got a chuckle out of it. All right, so as always, thank you so much for listening. 
I love it when you come to visit. It warms the cookie in my heart, as I heard someone say the other day. Please share and share and share this podcast. We are slowly creeping forward on our goal of world domination. See if you can't get a friend or two hooked on this audio drug this week, okay? Find them, just inject them when they're not looking, and then just let them fall into the bliss that is our podcast. We always want to hear from you guys, like seriously, seriously, seriously. Uh, Email us anytime. It's info at kmhpodcast.com. KMH for Killing Miss and Hidden. We're so clever. We're on Instagram a lot are way too much. I didn't even know how to manipulate Instagram six months ago, and here we are. Our profile name is kmh.podcast. Again, the Facebook group, please go join it. It is easy to join. Look for Killing Missing Hidden. You'll find our page. On our page, there's a group. Click on that link, and then you'll have to answer three questions. They're extremely difficult. They ask things like, what's your favorite episode? And what do we call the joke at the end of every episode? It's called the palate cleanser. Just answer those and you're in. That's it. I've probably rejected a dozen or more people who just won't answer the questions. They're not hard. You don't need a number two pencil and Scantron sheet. Just, just answer the dang questions and then you're in. And then we can talk about episodes. Or whatever else people find interesting. I mean, this is supposed to be our little private sandbox where we can build whatever we want without people judging us. We've also got a website that's a little snazzy for people who don't know how to build websites. It's www.kmhpodcast.com. Every episode we've got is listed there. All our show notes are listed there. So please... Check it out if you want to follow up. Like, again, that, that Fox 10 News video is, isn't is too shabby, and I think y'all would enjoy it if you take the time to check it out. Reviews. We love reviews. Leave us reviews, especially iTunes reviews. I mean, it takes three seconds to do it, really. I'm not I – mean, you know how long I spend working on this for you? Yeah, no, not these other people, Okay. This is just between you and me. All right. These other suckers, I don't care about. But you, you're my buddy. You're my pal. And I feel kind of hurt that you haven't left a review. So just drop some stars. If you've got the time, write a review. That's awesome, too. Make sure you're subscribed. We need that so you don't miss an episode of the show. And I'll say again, just write to us. If you've got a cool idea for an episode or if you want the podcast to go in a different direction, I'm here for you, baby. All right, I'm going to wrap it up now to quote Oscar Wilde. See how sophisticated this podcast is getting? He once wrote, Some cause happiness wherever they go. Others, whenever they go. So with that, know that your day is about to improve as I am departing. Y'all be good. Love y'all. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.